We are in part seven of our Discovering the Supernatural series. We've been walking through the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. And I entitled today's message, Discovering Eternal Life. You know, I was reflecting on this idea of the afterlife. There are some of us in this room listening to my voice that would, that would say, man, I, I, I'm stoked about the afterlife, man. This is going to be awesome, right? And then there's some of us that are like, yeah, I don't think about it much. Like, that's not really it. It'll kind of work itself out. And then there's some of us that you know you want to go to heaven, but you're like, I know me, and if it ain't all Jesus, I ain't going. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm a tough case, you know? I'm going to need some serious grace here. But what surprises me on a consistent basis is we are control freaks in this life, but don't think very much about the next one. Like there are some of you that you even have your Starbucks drinks organized by the day. You know what I'm talking about? Like you are so about planning, but if I say, what are your afterlife plans? You don't even think about that. You're like, what do you mean afterlife plans? Either Jesus is gonna save me or he's not. No, no, hold on. The Bible says that Beyond the well done, my good and faithful servant, there is what's called rewards for the followers of Jesus Christ. Are you even thinking through the process, how do I use this life to parlay it into the next? Let's say, for example, uh, you're going to walk in and see Jesus. Is he going to be surprisingly new or incredibly familiar? You know what I'm talking about? Have you managed your relationship with him in this life so deeply and so intimately that when you see him, you're gonna say, you're the one that I've been loving all my life. There's a lot we can do here that really parlays into the neck. Do we have any plans for what the afterlife is going to be like? Hmm. For Christians, those who rely on Jesus as our savior, we truly believe that he can and will do what he said he's gonna do, amen? But until we get there, we're still here. And if we're still here, it ain't always easy, amen? Like, I mean, I'm not here to like bring everybody down. I'm just saying that, man, real life sometimes is challenging. And what I would say is that sometimes our ability to get through today is to think that it won't be like that tomorrow. For, for example, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever hurt, whatever woundedness you're experiencing right now, do you realize it's temporary? It will not parlay into your afterlife. The Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. That means he will fully redeem and fully restore all that which tears apart at your spirit right now. So in other words, sometimes the way to live through today is to realize that's not your new normal. That is not going to be your reality moving forward. That you can actually say, someday I will be free. And I feel like sometimes that's the encouragement we need just to make it from Wednesday to Thursday. Because there's some of us that have lost people that we deeply, deeply care about. We know they're doing great. We know that they're thriving. We know that they're doing awesome at the side of Jesus Christ. But we still miss them. And you realize one day you will be reunited. Maybe there's some of us that are saying, man, I've been working through this addiction. I feel like I will never be free. One day you will be free. And I feel like if we know that the future is right, maybe we can make it through today. 
You know what I'm talking about? Anytime you use that concept, you're talking about hope, right? Hope is a very, very powerful concept. It feels like when we're full of hope, things are a little bit easier. When we have no hope, that's the challenge of depression. It's hard to get out of bed. So hope matters. Do you know that our Jesus said this to his followers? I'm going away, but I'm gonna go away. I'm gonna prepare a place for you because I want you to be with me forever. I never wanna be apart from you. Do you know that is your future? Do you, do you realize that God has given us promises after promises after promises of telling us things like no eye has seen nor ear heard nor mind even conceived the stuff that he has prepared for us? What's my point? My point is there is a future glory that we are walking into and that should fill our lives with hope. But all of that is predicated upon the idea that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, does what he says he can do, and that he rose from the dead. All of this is contingent upon the resurrection. And that's the fill in the blank right in front of you. You ready? Here's the fill in the blank. Because Jesus rose again, so can we. Because Jesus rose again, so can we. All right, if you are brand new with us, here's where we're at in the series. We've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and here's the essence of it. The apostle Paul set up this church. Everything was going great until they kind of got super cocky and arrogant, and, and they were kind of a mess, right? They were, they were really hyper-gifted, and so they were talking over each other. Their, their worship environment was kind of messy. And then there were some bad teachers and leaders and influential people. And they start messing with core doctrines. And Paul is like, oh my goodness, you guys are a mess. So he writes them a corrective letter, shuts down a bunch of bad stuff, organizes a bunch of things and says, guys, we've got to get our doctrine legit. So last week we had Pastor Judah lay out the simplicity and purity of the gospel. There's gotta be grace or we're no longer talking about Christianity. Can we all just appreciate Pastor Judah and his teaching, man? Come on, right? So good. Such a brilliant communicator and wonderful man of God. Uh, now, what we realize is that he's cleaning up and re-racking everything. He starts with the first cornerstone of the gospel. He starts shifting into that secondary level. And he says, guys, we gotta talk about the resurrection. There are some of you literally that are telling me that the people are not gonna get up from the dead. That's, that's absolutely absurd. And that's where we pick up our story. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. It's page 961. That'll get you there a little bit faster. We're gonna, we read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. If you are kind of visiting us, maybe you're in here with family or friends, man, we're super happy that you're here. You're gonna consistently wonder the entire time why I'm yelling. <laughs> and here's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> but praise the Lord, all right? Let's keep moving forward. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. I got an amen on that one. That was sweet. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. He uses the word now, and he's like, listen, we're shifting topics. Already talked about the gospel. Now, let's go into something else. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting Yahweh because we testified about God that he raised Christ who he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised and Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ before us have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Dang, Paul's on fire. Yeah, he's got some heat coming in. All right, so he starts out with this idea. Now let's talk about the resurrection and here's really what he's saying in essence. Some of you morons are saying that there's no resurrection of the dead. It's like you call yourselves Christians. Guys, this is stupid. You can't be a Christian if there's no resurrection of the dead. Like it's logically impossible. You can't be a Christian if Jesus isn't alive. So come on, like no matter how we slice and dice this thing, we're gonna keep coming back to the fact that of course there's a resurrection of the dead or none of this matters. So he starts talking about how serious it is to mess with doctrines like this. He said, you guys, if there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no forgiveness. That means we are all heading for eternal death. Like everyone keeps like trying to mess with their theology. I'm gonna add a little bit of this. Christianity kind of mix a little bit with Buddhism, kind of mess with this. Stop. When you mess with it too far, you're not even talking about Christianity anymore. He said, when you start pulling pieces out, you understand, if you think through it logically, you have now created nothing but doom. Stop messing with core elements of Christianity. There's a couple things that are non-negotiable. This is one of them. Let's even talk about the fact of all the people that you love that have died before you. Are you ready to tell me right now because you're, uh, people don't get up from the dead. All right, you telling me right now, they're all gone? Then no, then okay, then let's not get into this. He said, if for this life only we have hope, we are most to be pitied. And I love the raw honesty of Paul. Listen, if you're trying to create a cult, you gotta sell it, man, right? You know what I'm saying? Like if you're trying to create a cult, you gotta overpromise and underdeliver. Like you gotta, you don't ever say things like, yeah, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I wanna do something else. Like, this is dumb, we're not doing this. He's just so honest about it, right? And this is where some of you are like, well, I don't know, Christianity's kind of the, the, a good way to live. Okay, hold on. Let's talk about that for a moment because there's a couple things that come to mind for me. One of them is I feel like over the last 2000 years, the church has done a really weird thing. And that is, I feel like we've tried to make the good news better news. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's this idea that, okay, Jesus Christ died for your sins, but there's more. For a limited time only, we're sending you a, we're sending you a set of steak knives. They can not only cut cans, they can cut tomatoes. You're like, what? If it can cut a can, anyway. And, and, and I feel like we're constantly upselling this idea. Hey, not only did Jesus Christ give you forgiveness of your sins, but you can be healthy and wealthy and awesome. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. What did you say? Not only did Jesus Christ put you in a perpetual state of grace, but you will get 
all your friends that you've ever wanted and everything's going to go awesome for you because you're blessed, brother. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Did you just say Christianity makes my life easier? Paul's like, uh, uh-uh. I am currently in jail, brother. And I am not having a good time. So this, I don't know what you got going, but that ain't my kind of Christianity, right? So, you know, but then, then we kind of default out, right? Like, like we're thinking, well, Christianity is still the best way to live. Let's just match it up against other religions. All right, let's say, for example, the Mormons are right and we're wrong, right? Okay, so the Mormons are right, but just think about it. Have you thought about their theology? The only people in the Mormon religion that are really in trouble are Mormons that are ex-Mormons. They're the ones that are in trouble. The rest of us are just stupid and we get allowed in anyway. So if we're not Mormons, we're still getting in. This is awesome. So once again, they don't have any danger for us. Now, let's say we're not Buddhist or Taoist or, or, or Confucianist. Well, then we just kind of, we're just stupid, but we're still coming back as a worm. That's pretty rad. Like, it's not awesome, but it's still a worm. I'm still coming back. Like, even if I get it wrong, like in a whole bunch of the other ones, it's, I'm, I, you know, but if I'm wrong on Christianity, man, I'm going to hell. Okay. First of all, what a weird way to think about life, right? You're like, well, you came up with it. <laughs> okay. But the intriguing thing about all this is that we have to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is a blessing to living a Christian life. But it's not just, oh, those are the moral people. This is the easy way to do it. There's a blessing, but only if... Any of it matters, right? I mean, let's be honest about this. Our entire existence as Christians is contingent on a certain future reality. If that future reality is not true, none of this matters. If there is no God, if there is no Savior, if there is no Messiah, if there is no resurrection of the dead, it all falls apart, right? We are kind because we believe that God told us to be kind, we are forgiving because we believe that God forgave us. We are loving because we think that it's in our nature and expected of us from God. And we put off certain happiness in this life because we are wanting the better one later. We delay gratification with the expectation that something greater is in store. But if all of that is a lie and non-existent, we should be on a different plan. If Jesus didn't get up, we bet on the wrong savior. Now, I don't know another one. But the one that we got, if, if he didn't raise from the dead, it doesn't work. And it's interesting because all the other religions, no one's claiming the I got up from the dead thing. But he is. So either he did or he didn't. And if he didn't, this is not right. We're doing the wrong things. And, and this makes me reflect on Paul's Christianity versus ours. Are we really looking at Christianity like we add in all the benefit side, right? Hey, I'm gonna be a Christian because I get friends. Hey, I'm gonna be a Christian because I get community. Hey, I'm gonna be a Christian because I get this. But we're not interested in doing all the other parts of Christianity. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Die for me. He said, I want you to share your faith even when it's uncomfortable. He said things like, I want you to pray breakthrough even when it's hard. I want you to be able to, if you need to go to jail for me, you go to jail. Like, are we trying to play the Christian thing and only take the positive side? Because Paul's going, that is not my reality. Man, I have been beaten with rods. I have had 30, 40 lashes minus one. Meaning I've been whipped almost to death. I've been stoned to death and God had to bring me back. 
I've been shipwrecked multiple times. I'm in danger everywhere I go. I've been in prison more times than I can count. So what is this whole business about what you got a cushy Christianity? I don't even know what that is. So if I'm out here suffering every day and you're telling me that it's bogus, you understand what that means to me, right? I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. Man, I would just get a beach house, right? Because it's just absurd. Now everyone's like, oh, I can't believe I came to church today. I'm totally discouraged. (laughs) Got to get to verse 20. Verse 20 will turn it around. Ready? Go to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That is a fact, amen? We're gonna get into that. Yeah, come on. And Christ is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his return, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. All right. What did you just say? Jesus Christ really got up. Do you know this? Now, there's some of us that are a bit more analytical. That would be my nature, right? I wanna know why. I wanna analyze it through. And so I went through a big period of what's called apologetics in my life, just about a decade of just studying why, 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 right? Now, some of y'all don't need that. You're like, I got my Jesus, I'm good to go. I have a personal relationship with him. I don't need to know all the details. Okay, cool. But you do need to know enough in case one of your friends needs to know. You understand what I'm talking about? Like, it's not just about you, right? Like, if your friend asks you, so you're a Christian, right? You're like, yeah. They're like, so you really believe in that whole Jesus got it from the dead thing? You're like, yeah, totally. They're like, why? You're like, I don't know. My pastor said so. (laughs) Do you understand that's not sufficient for them? It's sufficient for you. But it's not just about you. So are we doing the proper study? Are we actually looking into it, because at some point you've got to own it, but you not only have to own it, you have to be able to at least share a little bit. You don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a scholar, but you do need to share a little bit and tell people why you believe what you believe. That's important. So let's dive into this. Did Jesus raise from the grave? The answer is yes, but how do we know that? All right, so a lot of apologists, they'll go into like legal language. They'll say things like this. Do you realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a more provable fact than most any ancient experience. So for example, you would say, uh, well, I believe that Attila the Hun uh, did this. Okay, we have more evidence about Jesus raising from the dead than anything about Attila the Hun. Any ancient history, thing, you're like, oh, that makes me feel more comfortable, right? Yeah, pastor, you go. Tell me all the reasons why, right? Because then we're like just petting our little cat, right? We're like, I feel better now. My faith is not futile. I love this, right? Okay. Well, let's, let's get into it. Why? So legally, let's talk about our court system. There's things like, uh, there's direct evidence. There is circumstantial evidence. There is uh, witness testimony, stuff like that, right? So we start going back through it and we go, okay, well, the first level of how we know Jesus rose from the dead is first of all, Jesus is legit, right? Now, most everybody's gonna give you that one. Jesus is a legitimate historical person. 
Well, how do we know that? Because a lot of people are like, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible, which by the way, that is incorrect. Just because we took a bunch of evidence and shoved it together in a compendium does not mean we cannot use it, right? That doesn't make any sense. It's still eyewitness testimony. But they said, well, external evidence, they referred to a guy named Crestus that was leading kind of a movement. We know that's Jesus Christ. All right, he was a non-Christian, ancient antiquity writer. Cool, Jesus is legit. We'll even give you the fact that he died on the cross but he didn't get up. And you go, yeah, 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 he did. And here's why. The Bible are written accounts of 12 separate appearances of Jesus post-resurrection. He revealed himself in 12 different settings that are recorded. For example, he starts out with Mary Magdalene. You remember, she's the one that saw him first, which by the way, if you're starting a cult, don't use a woman as your first testimony in a environment that doesn't respect women. Like clearly he's not trying to set up something bogus. He was making it hard on everybody. He's like, I chose a woman first, that's it. Guess who I chose second? Another group of women. So there, right, he's doing his own thing. So Mary Magdalene sees him first, then this group of women, and then he sees his brother, right, who didn't believe in him, James. He ends up getting transformed. He shows himself to the group of disciples, right, with Thomas. Then he shows without Thomas. And then he's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then, and it goes on and on and on. Then he's eating fish with them on the beach. And he's talking to Peter about reinstating him in ministry. And then he shows up to a group of over 500 people. Okay, listen, I'm not going through the whole list, but do you understand what the Bible just did? It just cross-referenced groups, individuals, males, females, small groups, large groups, and it keeps cross-referencing over and over. Is he alive? People saw him, people heard him, people interacted with him, people saw him eat. It was not a vision, it was not a vapor, it was not a ghost, it was a literal guy. People touched him, put their fingers in his wounds. That's all evidence, allowable in a court. And we go, Oh, okay, okay, but there's more. Where's the body? I mean, you gotta think through this, right? Where's the body? Because here's the deal, Rome, where, do they have it? Like, like if you're trying to say that Jesus is bogus, where's his body? Because really, Rome killed Jesus in order to kind of quash rebellion problems. But then those stupid Christians started getting more bold and more bold and they keep causing more problems. If you have his body, drag it out and shut him down. But you didn't do that, did you? Why? Because you ain't got it. Then people are like, well, the disciples stole it. You're telling me that the Roman Empire trained in warfare got duped by a bunch of fishermen. They're all watching it and the disciples are like, look over there. And then they grab it, right? And then like the Grinch, like they're carrying the body of Jesus out somewhere and you're like, what the? And you're like, well, yeah, the disciples knew and they had them in a closet and blah, blah, blah. Okay, then all those guys get tortured and murdered, but they had him in a closet? Okay, why would you even do that? When you know you're the one perpetuating the lie, you drop it when it no longer benefits you. But they didn't. Where's the body? Someone's got it, and I think it's Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You go the next row out. 
transform lives, the very existence of the Christian church. Comes out of nowhere, goes worldwide in 300 years. For what reason? They said it's based on their guy getting up. Row four, you start saying, well, hold on. From the beginning of Christianity till today, no one has moved off the fact that he got up. It's been the constant message for 2,000 years as a cornerstone of very Christianity. And there's so many transformed lives. We are all walking, living testimony that Jesus is alive. And Paul said, why are we talking about this? Why are you questioning me? What do you mean there's no resurrection of the dead? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If you're a Christian, of course he did. But this is interesting, he moves on, he's like, so Jesus Christ was our first fruits. Well, what does that mean? Well, in an agricultural society, when you would kind of plant and get ready for the season, the first crop to come up was really getting all the nutrients and the strength. and So it would come up beautiful and strong as opposed to like the last of the season where it kind of got beat up by people stepping on it and everything. The first fruits were kind of the best and then there was gonna be a whole bunch of harvest. So it says Jesus is our first fruits. What does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus was the first one to raise from the dead? Absolutely not. How do we know that? Because tons of people rose from the dead before he did, right? Even he raised Lazarus before he raised himself, right? So you go, okay, can't mean that. It doesn't mean first. You go, but hold on, hold on. Maybe he was the first one that raised from the dead and went to the right hand of the Father. Like he was the first one that got to die and go be in the presence of God. Because before the cross, everyone still had a sin problem and they were all going to paradise, which was a holding tank. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross, proclaimed his victory and led them all up to the presence of the Father. So he's the first one that got to go be with the Father. And you go, well, although that is true, that is not at all what they're talking about. What are they talking about? Here's all that Paul means. When you get a first fruit, you know there's a ton more coming. That was it. When the harvest starts, there's a bunch more harvest to come. If Jesus got up, oh no, here come everybody else, right? Now everybody starts rising and it's like, whoa, this is gonna be huge. He just kicked off a massive movement of resurrection. Does that make sense? And that includes you and me, praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, praise God. So, so then he says, he's like, okay, so by, by a man, death entered the world. Who's he talking about? Adam, right? Because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it brought death into the world. It brought sin into the world. So through a man, everything went wrong. Well, that's interesting because through Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, we have the redemption of mankind. So God used humanity, which broke it, brought himself into humanity to fix it. Like he was doing it through, and you're like, wow, this is cool, I'm putting together some pieces. All right, it goes even deeper than that. Jesus is our new Adam. Let's talk about Adam for a second. You guys remember how he got created? You guys remember this? Where did Adam come from? Uh, yeah, so God scoops up the dirt, makes Play-Doh guy, yeah? He's like, scoops him, he's like, look, oh, I'm Adam, boop, 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 right? And then he blows into it, and then he comes alive, right? And you got Adam guy. Well, what's interesting, it was by the very hands of God. There was no sin 
on him. We are all born in with sin. We come out of the womb with a weight upon our spirit. We have a brokenness to us. There was no brokenness in Adam. He was pure. He was the best purified form of humanity. So he was our best chance. He had nothing weighing him down. He had never sinned before. So he didn't have this, well, I've already sinned 32,000 times this month. I might as well do another sin. He didn't have any of that stuff. But all of a sudden, this Satan snake shows up. He's like, hey, I think you should choose you. And he's like, me too. And then they blow it and everything falls apart. And you're like, well, I would have done better. <laughs> no, you would not have. Nobody was gonna beat Satan in a battle of wits, right? Hmm. So then, Adam, in a perfect environment, goes head to head with Satan, bails. Our champion fails, and everything falls apart. Then all of a sudden, the Son of God becomes flesh, dwells among us, and you'll notice the minute he goes public with his ministry, where does the Holy Spirit drive him? Into the desert, not the Garden of Eden, but the desert, Adam and Eve faced it with full tummies. He goes without food and water for 40 days and 40 nights. He's like, listen, I will hit you with two hands tied behind my back. He comes in stripped down of everything and he comes in as the new champion. Satan tries the exact same trick. I think you should choose you. He said, well, my dad said no. He's like, all right, but I think you should choose you. Yeah, but I'm not going to because my dad said no. Well, I think you should choose you. Yeah, but I, my dad said no. Finally, Satan's like, this isn't working. I'm out. He leaves. Jesus wins. Why? Because our champion came in and did it right. What were they always supposed to do? My dad said no. That was it. But he, in that moment, with that pure sinlessness, with that amazing obedience, became our new Adam and brought in a whole new life. Now, all of a sudden, we are given the opportunity to go from death to life, to be born again, that all things have passed away and now all things are becoming new. In other words, we now have a new reality, a new harvest coming alive in Jesus Christ because of what he did. That's incredible to me. When it says that in Adam all died, that's true. When it says that all come alive in Jesus, it does not mean everybody gets saved. Ooh, love wins. No. You can't pull this stuff out of context. You gotta look at it in context. Paul already said, those who rely upon the Savior will be saved. They're the ones that live. That caveat's already in there. He said, now let's talk about the end, how everything ends. You know, at the end, Jesus is gonna be all done and he's gonna take the whole package and he's gonna hand it over to the Father. And he's gonna say, I did it, Dad. Well, what does it mean that he's reigning and putting things under his feet and, and he's defeating the enemy, right? Because it says every power and authority and all that stuff. Well, what ultimately is the last big enemy? Anybody know? It's right there in the passage. Death. Death. It's interesting, it's always been the big problem. You're like, no, 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 no. I thought Satan was the big problem, like Jesus and Satan duke it out, right? No. How did Satan get to our planet in the first place? He got kicked out of heaven because he lost the first battle. He had already gotten beat down, that's how he got here. 
Then the Bible says that on the cross, Jesus triumphed over him and embarrassed him and exposed him on the cross. He's been beat down twice. So what battle is he still fighting with him? There is no battle. We already know the end. The end, Satan and his demons are thrown into the lake of fire. It's already been settled. Satan is not the big enemy. He's a pawn then what is Jesus still working on? Death. You're like, no, 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 no. Because we now go from glory to glory. Like for, yeah, for Christians, do you understand God loves all of his people? Do you understand that until all are saved that are going to be saved, Jesus isn't done? Do you understand the only danger that is on his kids to this day is they're gonna say, I don't want you to save me. That is the continuing danger that exists. Because he made a system that said, I want you to choose me. I don't want robots, I'm not forcing you. I want you to choose me, but when he did that, that's a very dangerous concept. And so there is still an enemy out there and it's called eternal death. Why is death a problem? It's separation from God. And that is the one thing God does not want. So Jesus is gonna keep working and he's gonna work on you and the people you love. Sometimes he's gonna melt your heart with his kindness. Sometimes he's just gonna hunt you down and take you to the woodshed. Sometimes he's gonna come in and get super tricky on you, but he's gonna come up on you over and over and over and over and say, I love you, I died for you, I love you, I died for you, and I will hound you until I say enough is enough. Until then, there is danger and Jesus is working on it. But one day, he's gonna call it. He's gonna gather up all those that are saved. He's gonna gather up the enemies of God, and he's gonna take a package and hand it to the Father and go, I'm all done. That's what it just said. Listen to verse 27 and 28. Ready? But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Well, there you go. <laughs> what the heck? What did you just say? I don't even know what you're talking about. You just kept saying the word subjection over and over and over again, right? Like this is some weird Dr. Seuss nonsensical thing. And when I read it, I was like, was this written by Apple? Because I feel like on my iPhone, everything I sign sounds like that. You know, like read the terms and conditions. You're like, I, I don't even know, I can't even read that right now, right? I mean, this is crazy. What did he just say? It's actually super simple. Remember, the Corinthians are little punks. The Corinthians are hounding him and arguing with him about everything. So he just said a statement he knew they were going to argue with. He just said, and Trinitarian God put all things under Jesus. And he's like, oh, great. Now I know there's gonna be some dorky Bible nerd that's gonna come back and go, oh, so we put the Father under the Son too? He can't put the Father under the Son. The Father's not supposed to be. And he's like, you guys, okay, can we just be real clear? I didn't say that. When he put everything under him, he didn't put the Father under the Son because he's gonna hand it to him. Are we all good? Okay, cool, let's move on, great. That was it, that's all you read, right? Because it was just trying to clarify for that one guy who was gonna be super irritating, right? All right, we move on. 
Verse 29, otherwise, if there's no resurrection of the dead, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead aren't raised at all, why are people getting baptized on their behalf? Okay, pause. Do you guys remember when we did that one baptism for the dead? It was so fun. Uh, no, we've never done that. That is so weird. Why? Everyone's like, yes, I remember. No, you don't. We've never done that. That's not a thing, right? Never in all of mainstream Christianity has there ever been an allowance to get baptized for someone that died. That's called vicarious baptism. That's baptism by proxy. You can't do that. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. You have to get in the water yourself. Because the point is, we don't go in groups. You can't save someone else. You have to say, I choose Jesus Christ, and then we lower you as if you died in Christ and raised back up again. There's no such thing as I get to do it for somebody else. I can't get, I can't get my children baptized by me baptizing myself three times. That doesn't work. The only ones that have ever taken this and tried to put it into practice came after Joseph Smith. It came into Mormon practice where they actually do baptize for the dead. And here's what it means, that they're looking at it and they're like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about practicality. If only Mormons go to heaven, what about all the people in our family history that aren't Mormons? Like maybe they even were before Mormonism. What do we do with them? And they're like, well, let's get baptized for them. So one of the biggest reasons why Mormonism is high on genealogy is because they're tracking their family to baptize for them so that none of their family line will be lost. Does that make sense? So they get baptized and they're checking the little box. Oh, all my family line got baptized, so they're all good now. They're like doing little sin erasers, right? For all your people. Okay, that's not a thing. The Bible specifically teaches against that. So what does this mean? We have no idea. And when I say we, I mean like smart people. Like, like, like scholars have no idea what it means. We know what it doesn't mean. We don't know what it means. But here's the main point. Why is anyone doing baptism if there's no resurrection of the dead? The very principle of lowering and raising means dying and raising again. Don't call yourself a Christian that does baptism if you don't think that people raise from the dead. He's just pointing out one absurdity after another absurdity and contradiction after contradiction going, guys, you can't mess with this stuff. And then he jumps into it right here, verse 30. Why are we in danger, meaning me and my crew, every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead aren't raised, man, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Man, that's raw, right? Jesus didn't Christ, didn't rise from the dead. Pour me a tall one, I'm out. That was his bottom line. He's getting me in very practical with you. He's like, man, my, my life is really hard, you guys. I'm in prison as I'm writing the letter from Ephesus. I don't wanna do any of this, but I'm doing it because it matters. I'm doing it because Jesus matters. I'm doing it because he's my savior. Absolutely, I want to do it because I believe that my Jesus rose again. And he mentions this phrase, I fought beasts in Ephesus. He didn't really go into the arena and fight wild beasts in Ephesus. How do we know that? 
because Paul is a Roman citizen and Roman citizens were not allowed to be put in the arena, right? So we know that's not, it was a metaphor. Why did he use a metaphor? Because he's in Ephesus right as he's writing. And he know, everyone knows who he's talking about. He's talking about people. And he's like, I'm not naming them. I'm gonna call them wild beasts. You guys know they're trying to kill me. So he just mentions it and everyone's like, oh, I totally get it. Okay, and then he finishes out with a massive correction on the Corinthian church and the leaders. Verse 33, Corinthians, do not allow yourselves to be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and stop sinning. Some have obviously no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Wow, that was harsh. What was his point? Guys, how in the world did this teaching get popular? Why are you allowing that type of teaching in here? Why are you allowing these leaders to be popular? Stop it. They're messing with non-negotiables. They're distorting the gospel. They're distorting the concept of the resurrection. Listen, there's a lot of stuff we can mess with and a lot of stuff we can try to sort out. But stop messing with Jesus because that's where I draw the line. And you know how embarrassing it is that I have to have this conversation with you? That you would be so fired up for so many other things and yet you would allow them to steal your Jesus. How dare you? Wow, right? Like that was pretty heavy. All right, here's what's intriguing. His whole point all along was, guys, you know this, our Jesus is alive, period. We have so much evidence, so much proof. Like if I'm, even when I'm writing this, Paul said, there are people still alive that saw him get up. Like it's not that long ago. We, it, we know this. And if he is alive, then you can be alive. And then your future is secure. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, he has put you in a state of perpetual grace. He has forgiven you of all your sins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has gone to the depths to rescue you and he is able to do it. And he proved he is able to do it because he got up out of that grave. And if he can get up out of his own grave, he can get you out of your grave. Amen? Oh, so here's how we're gonna close out. We're gonna, in a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. And then when I start praying, I just want the prayer team to come on up front because I'm gonna kind of stir some things up and some of y'all might want some prayer afterwards. That's what our prayer team is here for, okay? But I wanna pray for two groups. I'm gonna have you stand up. I'll direct you during our prayer time, but we're gonna be praying to the Lord about issues about hope, okay? Now, when I close, I'm gonna head on upstairs. If you're brand new, to here at Bridgeway and I haven't got a chance to meet you yet or you haven't got a chance to meet our staff, maybe here six months or less, I'd love to just meet you upstairs. Find a staircase, go up, we'll find you, all right? Praise the Lord. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're the only one. You're the only one that can tell us what is right. God, we don't know. We're so bent by our circumstances. Lord, if we have a good day, we think that you're good and we have a bad day, we think you're bad. Lord, we don't even know what we're talking about. You're the only one that gets to dictate reality. You're the only one seeing it clearly. So God, we're gonna come to you and we desperately need your help. If you are currently struggling with despair, darkness in your life, 
If you are currently wrestling with a lack of hope and you feel like things are overwhelming, can you please stand up? We're gonna pray breakthrough for you. Stand up. Yep, who else? Yep, let's keep going. Who else? If you are wrestling right now, I want you to, I want you to stand up. Anybody else? Okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand up because pastor's talking about us. That right now, Lord, there, there is a weight upon us that does not have any business being there. Our intellectual mind knows that you are right, God, that our future is bright, that this does not own us, this is not our new reality, but God, we can't seem to let it soak down into our hearts. We feel so heavy. We feel so pushed together. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would lift that weight, lift that darkness right here, right now. We are praying, Lord, that whatever the enemy has done to try to put a blindfold on, try to put us in a dark prison, I pray you would break us out in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, Father, that you would allow us in that dark basement of our heart, break the windows and let the light in. Lord, that we might be able to believe you at your word and to consider it as reality that, Lord, that we are not men and women of despair. We are not men and women of darkness and depression. We are not men and women that are hopeless, that you have said something greater for us, and we refuse to allow our chemicals to tell us what is true. We refuse to allow the enemy to dictate our level of joy and peace. So right now, we war in Jesus' name against that which stands against us, that which holds us dark. God, I just pray that it would begin to lift and begin to break and begin to shatter, that God, we might have these free spirits. You said that our joy would be fulfilled, that our joy would be full. You said that whoever the sun sets free will be free indeed. You told us time after time after time that you know how to set your kiddos free. So I just pray right now for all brothers and sisters that are online listening to my voice right here in the room, standing up. God, we say, set me free, open my mind, open my heart to your truth. Make us be able to see your glory. Allow us to see your hope. Allow us to see your joy in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. I got another group I wanna pray for. If you currently know someone in your life that you love, that you care about, that is in darkness, I want you to stand up on their behalf right now. They didn't come to church today. And they may never come to church. I want you to stand up on their behalf. We're gonna intercede. That's what Christians do. We fight for our coworkers. We fight for our grandchildren. We fight for our families. We fight for our friends. If you know anyone that is lost in darkness, I want you to stand up right now because we're gonna pray breakthrough in their lives. Amen? Let's do this. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that the name that is upon our mind, the name that is upon our lips is only there because you are concerned about him first. You let us know and reminded us just now that God, that you are already at work. We pray that your freedom for them would be triggered upon the prayers of your people. We pray right now breakthrough in the name of Jesus. The Lord, that whether or not it is, it is uh, 
substance abuse that has drawn them down, God, I pray you would lift them up in the name of Jesus. Whether or not it is mental illness that has them bound, we ask that you would break it in the name of Jesus. Whether or not it is a friend group or a, a broken heart or whether or not it is financial situations, whether or not it is just sheer regular depression, God, we pray a lifting for them right now that you sprinkled us as salt and light throughout this world to be the defenders of those that we sit next to, those that we sit next to on the bus, those that we sit next to in the cubicle, those that we sit next to at church, those that we sit next to at home. So God, we want to be those warriors on their behalf. So in Jesus' name, we proclaim healing over our friends and family. We proclaim healing and freedom over our coworkers and those acquaintances that right now, Lord, they do not have the strength or the awareness to call out to you. So we're calling out to you on their behalf. Lord God, would you open their eyes? Would you open their heart? Would you open their mind? Would you open their soul? Would you open their spirit that they might be able to receive like a flood of hope and joy? Do not allow Satan to destroy them. Do not allow this world to destroy them. You made them. They have the mark of you on them, that they are your creation. We pray any that are not saved would be saved right here, right now, today. We pray that they would be brought into your family, be made your kiddos, that they would have a secure and bright future. Lord, continue to move in their lives right now in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So God, we're gonna move on from here and we're gonna walk out of these doors remembering our circumstances do not get to say what is true. You are a good God every single time, at every moment. You are constant in your love, even when we continue to fail and falter. Your faithfulness is strong when ours is weak. That you're the one that is constantly chasing us. You watch us when we sleep. You hold our hands when we cry. You sit with us in the closet. You know, you know everything about us and you still call us precious. So Lord, I just pray an encouragement upon this whole church. Everyone that can hear my voice, a bounce in their step, a buoying of their spirit, that they might be able to lift their head up high saying, my God loves me. Everything may not be great in my life, but the number one important thing in my life is right, and that is my God. So Lord, would you encourage us today in the name of Jesus? Amen.